This is Founders Talk, an interview podcast hosted by me, Adam Stachowiak, and we profile founders building businesses online as well as offline. If you found this show on iTunes, we're also on the web at 5x5.tv slash Founders Talk. If you're on Twitter, follow Founders Talk at me, Adam Stack. Today's guest is Brian Chimeski, the founder of Zurb. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. I'm joined today by Brian Chmieski. He is the founder of Zurb. He's also, I, I guess, the um, the person that runs the team there. What is this nickname you kind of go by, Brian? Uh, Chief Instigator. So we're 13 years old. Uh, I think we're about 19. We're 19 people now. So when I first started having a CEO or president, it didn't make any sense. So Really, what I was doing was instigating people and getting people psyched to work on projects. So I've always held on to that. And I still sign things as president when I have to do formal stuff. But Chief Instigator is really what I am around here. Chief Instigator. Any other nicknames that's uh, fun to call you by? Uh, torture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. uh, yeah, Brian. Most people just call me Brian around here. So, Or they'll just say Z. So Zerb is pretty well known in, in the design and development communities. I'm not sure... If everyone listening to this podcast is a designer or developer, but I'm sure that they're in this internet's geekery space, so they probably have at least used something or visually seen something that you guys have developed, but you've been around for 13 years. What, where does your story begin? So back in the heyday when the internet was, uh, was on fire, probably around 98, um, I was working as a toy inventor, actually helping come up with toy concepts and licensing them to... Uh, bigger toy manufacturers. And in that process, I learned a lot about understanding, um, I guess, presentation and selling an idea when there really wasn't a product. And the product itself was something that we had a visualization for and we prototyped and we put sketches to it, uh, but we really didn't make the final product. We sold that idea. And uh, I gained a lot of experience doing that. And when the web came around and you know, it was starting to become a commercial entity. I saw an opportunity to take the skills I had and be able to start building products and services online. And I really focused around understanding what drove people to use things. And that, you know, a lot of people call it user experience now. They call it interaction design. Uh, but back when I started, it was all about trying to understand what a customer was trying to get accomplished on a website or a product. And, and that's how we got started. We started focusing on what, what people are trying to use on the web. So that's how Zurb got started, and, and that's kind of your, your front story. What, what exactly was the impetus for starting Zurb? Uh, was it just you getting started with like working with clients and helping them through some strategy stuff, or was it really like a small design team you just started to build incrementally? Uh, it started, like most uh, businesses, it started small. And you know, it was uh, a freelance effort. I basically was you know, looking for opportunities to work with people and help them through problems. Um, I always knew I wanted to direct or, or be part of something where I was helping shape um, a, a product or a website. And I started just working with clients. Um, and I did that basically for five or six years, just learning and, and practicing to make money selling and figuring out how to um, you know, solve the problems that, that people were coming to me with. And you know, I didn't, at the time, I don't think I really had a, a, a goal, per se, of, of, of trying to solve uh, um, you know, a, a big business problem. It was just, you know, getting in there and, and learning from all these things that were around us in the Valley. You know, there's, there's a ton of unique things happening and I just jumped, uh, jumped into it. Um, and, and things progressed. And as you know, um, we started 
you know, working on more projects, we started getting more referrals and, you know, the most, all, some people haven't even heard of Zurb. And I, you know, for the most part, for a solid 10 years, we were purely based on a referral basis from a founders group that was basically forward our name around. So from a, a consumer end or from a wider audience of developers and designers, most people probably hadn't heard us until the last couple of years. Um, in which case we started, <clears throat> um, sharing lots of the things we've learned over this 10 years and, you know, we're giving away a lot of our code and, and sharing our experiences. So, but when we first started out, it was all about just gaining experience, trying to jump into the fray and figure out, you know, what the web was about. There weren't really rules, you know, when you look at agencies, there wasn't really, you know, a clear direction on how to do all this stuff. So, you know, I started just figuring out things and, and piecing together, um, you know, parts of these uh, problems and then figuring out how to put a service around it. So like, I guess since most people or maybe some people don't know Zurb out there, uh, so for the uninitiated on Zurb, exactly, you know, I know you kind of dis- display this on your website on the front page there on when you say who you are, and you kind of even right. kind of stumble over some words, not directly stumbling over words, but kind of talking about who you are. You're not just a web design agency. Who is, what is Zurb for the people who don't know? Right, so our mantra at Zurb is, is designed for people. Um, with the idea that you know the focus of of um, all our work is around helping people solve problems online, and we think that's a big, you know, a great way to to build a business uh, for all the clients that we help. Um, our, our core competency is what I call product design, or understanding how to take interactions and design strategy and build you know, better products, uh, better web services, um, better websites. You know, for the most part, complicated websites, not you know marketing oriented websites. So you said that uh, in your early years you were a, a toy inventor or a toy – what was the word you used to describe what your role was back then? Yeah, I was a toy inventor. So. Toy inventor. Okay. So how much of that has kind of played into the, the lifeblood or, and or personality of Zurb today? I would say probably quite a bit actually because the nature of the business was all about opportunity. So there was no one that came to you with a specific problem. You had to figure out what the problems were and present an idea. And so I think – you know, if you looked at what we do at Zurb and all the pieces that we um, we work on, most of it is based on opportunities, coming to people with new ways of looking at problems and then trying to sell them, trying to get them bought into ideas um, that maybe they didn't have or you know, weren't formalized or weren't crystal clear. And we've tried to put a structure around it to sell it as, a, as an idea that someone would want to adopt. Like Foundation is a great example of that. So. Yeah. And for those who don't know, Foundation is a – a recent framework that uh, Zurb has introduced. It's quite neat, actually. I mean, it, it goes everything from the desktop down to the mobile. So you, what, what is the, the catchphrase you use for it? Oh, now you got me uh, trying. I got a computer here, so maybe I can uh, read off it. But it, it basically, the, um, uh, the premise is you can start here and build everywhere, is that once you start thinking about um, multiple devices, you know, then you can start structuring the way you code and build. Um, and, and oftentimes, a lot of people, mobile first, Luke uh, Robluski is a, an advisor to Zurb. Um, you know, mobile first is a great way to approach the problem, but we don't necessarily say, hey, you have to go mobile. It's just a constraint that helps solve problems. But um, the, the goal of foundation is to give people a tool set to help them start thinking about, you know, how do you start iterating and prototyping and, and building ideas into um, a website, not just kind of structuring the end code base and thinking that you're done. It's it's really a tool set to keep you thinking about evolving a service, evolving a website, um, and knowing that your customers are going to be you know in everywhere. They're going to be on mobile phones, tablets, and and you really don't get to choose anymore. Right. 
Now you got a stellar team at Zurb, and, and you're 13 years old. So, what are some of the things that you did early on to to really build a core, solid foundation for building the kind of team you have today? Uh, messed up a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what kind of yeah, mess ups? <laughs> uh, you know, building teams in a culture is really difficult. Um, because when you first start out, you don't really know the identity of the group of people you're working with. You're trying to find that in the people um, that are working with you. And, and when you first start out, you're trying to figure out um, who has the talent to run something or drive something. And you don't always know that. So you have to experiment a little and push people to figure out you know, what they excel at and what they're good at. So when we first started Zerb, it was just me and uh, Jeremy, who's a, a partner at Zerb and is still with us uh, today, um, was kind of the first guinea pig, I'd say. It's like we we had uh, worked together in um, you know a six hundred foot office and and basically started working with clients and figuring out what the best way to solve some of these problems were. Um, and you know, as you work on these problems, you start to realize the unique talents each person has. And, and we started to complement the team with uh, you know skill sets were complementary, but also fall in line with what our, our core values were around solving um, problems for people. Um, but, you know, along the way, as you start scaling and you start trying to figure out how you add more creative people to the mix, you have to figure out a structure that allows everyone to collaborate and really provide uh, the company with their best work. And so, you know, that comes with ups and downs because as you get groups of people together, you have to find the right mix of people. So, you know, when we first started out, it was a little easier because you, you know, you added one or two people, but, um, even today, we it's a very important part of, of how we look at building a business. Uh, you know, to, to become a Zerbian, you actually have to be approved by everyone in the business right now, and that is, is becoming a little bit more difficult. But an important part of that first part of, of identifying whether someone is a culture fit in our organization. Now you use the word close knit team. That's a a neat term to, to I guess use about your team and your culture. What exactly does that mean to you? Uh, I think if you were to spend a day here, you'd start to realize that people really depend on each other to finish their projects, and each person's unique skills makes the end result better. So foundation is a great example of, you know, Jonathan is probably a big driver of, of that, but Matt, um, Kelly is also providing, you know, lots of insights in there from a developer's perspective, and then we have a team of designers that are also contributing. Um, a close-knit team is usually a team of four to five people that are really kind of working on something. Um as soon as you get bigger than that, then it starts to become more hard, more difficult to actually, you know, get that magic in the project. Um, so you'll see most of what we work on is in teams of two, three, four, and five, um, and we collaborate like that. So if the team gets too big, we kind of break the team into smaller smaller groups. Um, so it's kind of a collective of of close knit people. But the idea is that you're always focusing on quality. You're always focusing on making sure people are enjoying their work that they can control some of the output and making sure that the customer is going to enjoy what, what we've created. So I guess, I guess talking about enjoying your work and um, fulfilling it with pride and those kinds of things, what are some of the things that you do to, to kind of do you incentivize? What, what are some of the ways that you help propel and, and motivate your team? Yeah, this goes back to that failure component of, of building a business. Um, you know, I had no formal management training. I've always been a leader and, and worked um, with groups trying to figure out how to um, drive them to success, but I've never had management experience. And, and over the 13 years, you start to realize, you know, what incentives work and what don't and what only complicate the picture. So I'd say in the last couple of years, we've really started to hone in on the things that really work. Um, 
you know, example, like we have profit sharing. So as part of our, uh, you know, overall employee compensation, we look for an opportunity to help the employees see the contributions they're making and then put some of that back in their pocket. Um, you know, most Valley firms that are startups focus on uh, stock options. Uh, you know, we're a smaller business that's focused on, you know, creating returns for our, our clients and our customers. So we figured out that if we can put that money back directly into our employees' pockets, it, it kind of fuels the cycle of owning, um, you know, and being responsible for the relationship. Uh, we, we do kind of, you know, in, in the Valley, when you're competing for talent, we do fun things. Uh, um, employees get free house cleaning, which is a, a fun, fun thing. We, we did that because when you start looking at all the things that you have to worry about, you know, most people hate cleaning their house. So right. it's just, an, it's another thing that just kind of, it allows you to be a slacker in that area of your life. And then, you know, focus on the things that, you know, are more exciting. Um, we do lunches. One of the biggest things we've done uh, recently is we do lunches three times a week. Um, you know, we have it brought in from local restaurants and more than anything, that's helped us, I think, as a team, you know, focus on conversations that revolve around our personal lives, not so much like what we're doing at work. Uh, and in fact, I'd say most of the conversations around lunchtime don't revolve around work. It's, you know, trying to understand, um, you know, what else is going on in people's lives and get a better sense of who they are as people. Um, so I'd say that's a, that's a big um, incentive for, for people. It's not like directly tied to the work itself, but, you know, it's being able to be part of a team. Um, let's see. I think one of the bigger things we've, we've experienced is, um, you know, everyone, when we talk about that close knit team, when, when you're on a team of three or four people or five people, you really see the impact of your work. And when you start seeing, you know, people comment on Twitter, people, um, you're sending emails and talking about the things they enjoy in your products, you know, that's a big incentive, more so than any monetary compensation, um, because you can see actual, results of your work you get to actually see what the customers are saying about it um, so i'd say that's probably the biggest one and we've tried to optimize that as much as we can of, of making sure that people get to see the rewards of their work not necessarily because i go around saying it's great but the customers go around that saying it's great um i'd say that's probably one of the biggest biggest uh, incentives for people that work here so you said early, uh, a little early on in the call, that sharing uh, was a is a big part of your culture in terms of sharing your code base, sharing your design patterns, sharing a, a ton of different stuff. And you even mentioned it was part of even helping you get more known in the community. What what kind of impact has sharing in general had for your company, and and what really got you to do it? Wow. Okay. Two 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 components to that, but I think the sharing component. Uh, Informally, we probably learned that early on is that when you start putting yourself out there, people then reciprocate that. They'll, they'll put energy into giving you back something. And I think when you're trying to figure out how to be better at creating um, websites and products online, there really isn't a whole lot of rule books. There's lots of information being put out there, but it's really hard to get this information. So instead of trying to do this in a silo and keep all the information, what we've we've learned is that when you put a little bit of yourself out there, people will give you more information. They'll help you figure out problems that you didn't know before. And so when you're doing um, a business like this, you you realize that it's not so much in the competitive advantage you have is that you actually know more. And the way you, you know more is by putting more of yourself out there and you, you basically keep raising the bar. And when you raise the bar, um, you help an industry, but you also help, 
yourself get better at your craft. And so I think it was probably about four or five years ago, I started to realize that trying to hold on to this information no longer made any sense because it was only getting trapped and there really wasn't any advantage to holding on to it. So we've taken the approach of try and make everything open because if you do that, um, you're just going to get better. And then the result of that is that I'd say from a, a global perspective, we get people seeking us out on a regular basis trying to figure out problems that you know, aren't your traditional type of projects. They're interesting problems that um, you can't just go to an agency and say, hey, put a design on this thing. It doesn't work like that. So uh, it's given us unique insight into you know, the types of problems that are happening on the web, more so than most agencies because we've helped over 200 startups in the last you know, 10 years. So um, that's the type of work we want, and so we put more of ourselves out there. And when you say 200 agencies, I know that you've got some really well-known names on your homepage and um, you know, Logitech, Netflix. I mean, a lot of, a lot of really big names. I mean, even Britney Spears, I think um, – I forget who it was or somewhere I read it in somewhere that uh, – it might have even been you um, that described the way you tell your grandma about what you do was that you're like, oh, we build websites for people or we do – we saw these problems for people on the web, and by the way, we did Britney Spears, and they kind of connected with that. What uh, um, going back in time? What you went from small business startup, or just kind of getting off the ground with the freelance kind of perspective, and then moving into what Zurb is today? At what point did you start to transition into bigger, more well-known clients, and, and what was that time period like? Oh, geez, uh, you know. Unlike a lot of startups you might talk about, there's a high growth or there's, there's, there's a lot of growth and the growth is an important aspect of the conversation or potentially what they're trying to accomplish. For Zerb, growth has never been an end game. So it, it's not this thing where we're like, all right, we need to hire two more people or we need to you know, create this um, – um, we need more money. It, it's never been like that. It's always about the problems in front of us and trying to solve bigger and better problems. And so along the way, I think there's been kind of a continuum of new opportunities that, that get introduced to us based on that referral network is once you've been able to show that you're capable of solving you know, this, this complex problem, then someone else will refer you to another person that has a similar type problem or slightly different with uh, similar types of constraints, right? So to, to be honest, it, it's really just been a continuation. There really wasn't a, a period where you're like, oh, no, what to do, um, if I if I had to um, if there was any component of that where there's a unique story I'd say it it's when we figured out how to project manage um, and and not in the traditional sense of of you know throwing a project manager onto a project but learning the ins and outs of helping designers figure out how to guide a project from end to end and that really enabled us to um, I think take more uh, chances and risks with the types of work we were doing because we had a structure that, that people could fall back on and, and understand that you know, if there were problems in a project, they could always quickly adjust and, and get back on track. Um, and I'd say that was probably about four or five years ago where you know, we learned specific techniques that, that help us really guide a project. Um, most of our projects that we're working with clients on, there are only two people on. Um, there's a design lead and a designer. And that's pretty much the set structure for all of our projects. Well, speaking of sharing knowledge and, and just communicating that to the, to the public in, in general, you have this thing called Zurb Think. And I think this is kind of kind of neat how you 
initiate people to learn the ropes of of what you guys do you you invite them into all sorts of very specific kind of training activities like interaction design engineering and sketching for engineers these are just some of the ones you have listed on your site but you, not only do you give back to open source and the design community just by sharing your thoughts knowledge and and maybe even what might cons- people consider like intellectual property but it's just you know you put it out there as open source and, and you share it right. um what uh, at what point does Zerb thing come around, and, and what was the goal with with something like this? Well, when you start realizing that uh, you, you know people are hungry and thirsty for information and education, um, if you give away parts of that, then people come back even more. It, it seems counterintuitive, but um, by actually putting yourself out there and, and giving people a lot of this information for free. They come back to you with specific problems, and sometimes those problems are organizational problems, not just, hey, can you help us figure out this project? It's, hey, can you help us figure out how do we put this methodology to work in our organization, right? And so what we have decided to do is instead of offering it so much as a service in our in our consulting is to look at it as a class setting and, and being able to pull people together so that they can actually learn as a team from the things that we've done. And, you know, when we can, we try and include um, real case studies from their own work. So is this primarily targeted at just general classes or let's say specifically like an organization would come to you and say, hey, our, our design team needs to know how to do X, X, and X. And uh, that's actually two podcasts in a row where I said XXX. So I'm sorry about that to the public. <laughs> um, I think I said that with Dan Martell, the last podcast I was on. I think I had to apologize then too. I, I don't know why it happens. Trust me, it's not my mind. And I'm going to put my foot in my mouth on that one but nonetheless back on the topic is when they come to you with these topics is it certainly is it just classroom based or is it specific to an organization i think when you listen and you talk to the people that are requesting our help most people don't know they they know they have organizational problems they know they need their team to be smarter in these areas and so they're looking for someone to help guide them and and i think what zerb does in these cases is it tries to listen to what's going on. You know, a class might not be the right setting. You know, it might be doing a project with the team and helping them understand how to go from point A to B with guidance and figuring out how to, how to crush something. So, you know, the, the deserved think component of the business is really focused on, you know, organizations and knowing that, you know, you, you have a team of people that need a, a certain training in an area and, and, and giving it to them where the services side of a business is probably more hands-on. And, and, and you could say that some people sign up to continue to work with us because they get that direct training and uh, seeing how we actually work on projects. Now, not only are you able to help clients um, strategize and develop product ideas and ultimately just take a better approach and use digital ways to do that the web obviously mobile design and all the all the features of, of zerb and, and what you guys do but not only do you do that but you also develop your own products so you got notable bounds verify and, and a, a slew of others beyond just what's in the playground which is stuff you offer for open source but there's a couple here that are like actual real viable businesses outside of zerb uh, can we right. talk about some of those sure yeah i mean i think uh and i can and be candid with you that for the last two years, most of what you see out there are little pieces of us practicing. And we've put our, uh, put our skills to work trying to figure out how to actually make money from these different things we've been working on. And over the next year, I think you'll start to see a better storyline emerge. But 
for the most part, our services has been the, the mainstay of our business. It's where we learn the most of our techniques, and it's where we practice writing code and, and designing. Um, the products themselves emerged two years ago when we were thinking about how do you actually build a business around um, our skills and scale it so that the margins increase as you, you know, put more stuff out there, not decrease as you add more people to the mix. And so, you know, we put together um, you know a series of prototypes across different um, you know problems that we have, and, and Notable was our first product uh, that we saw an opportunity for, and we put it out there and, and have continued to. Um, experiment with it and iterate on it and you know we've probably done three big releases on it and we see opportunity to keep improving the app that really stimulated the whole thing and said we could actually produce product that made sense and and all of our products fall under the the same guiding principles as our services is we're going to help you be better at designing great products and services online our tools should help you um, in that quest and so what we've done is align the product offering with our service offering so that, you know, the types of things we do can also be done by other people using our tools. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I was, I thought you were ending there, but I was going to ask you for, for those who don't know about notable or even, um, the other products that, that we've mentioned, like bounce and, and, uh, verify what, what are these apps? Like specifically what is notable? Cause this is kind of neat. Cause I actually signed up for an app, uh, for an account, uh, actually today. This is the, right. I've seen it out there. Uh, and I think, I noticed what it was, but I didn't have that problem at the time. But I've, I was, you know, as I was kind of preparing for our call today, I was like, wow, okay, I do have this problem. I'm always showing screenshots to my team because I'm a designer and right. primarily a UX designer. So I, I kind of get that feeling where I have to communicate something through a visual and they can't, that picture doesn't always get to tell a thousand words, you know? So, right. And right. they've so, always got feedback. Right, right. So the feedback loop in, in our business is incredibly important. So, you know, when you look at how you do great things with teams of people that have different skill sets, uh, words are great, but visuals are, are, are even more powerful. And, you know, we learned that early on is that when we started presenting things in a visual manner, people started to understand it. Um, and so Notable allows you to take screen grabs from uh, web browsers, from Photoshop, uh, from a desktop tool. And basically import them in the system in sets or groups so that you can start annotating directly on top of the screenshots and sharing that feedback with people. And then it allows a feedback loop to happen by um, allowing people to comment directly on the notes. Uh, so we started that about two years ago, and we're only we're the only tool that really has a suite of, of, of tools to be able to upload into the system. So we're trying to get into your workflow across different tools you might be using across your design process, whether it be at the wireframe stage, whether it be at production code or even when you're doing something at a staging level um, is to be able to keep iterating on those ideas so um, that was our our first product and and bounce is the what we call the little brother um, which is a free tool which allows you to do the same thing without a login and gives you the ability to share it across the web with anyone you know one thing i noticed that is just this might even deviate the conversation i apologize if it does for those listeners out there but i'm just kind of following along with brian as he's talking about uh, the different products and it's a growing trend that I see across everything that you guys do is just phenomenal visual design about communication of, of what it is, whatever you're talking about. Um, but you, you seem to have this, you know, this little thread between everything that just all feels very Zerb like or very Zerbian, as you had said earlier, which is actually just the people that you, that are part of the team. What is that like, I guess, to, to always have that linear path from a visual standpoint of, uh, that it just, 
you know, has this Zerb like feel to it. Yeah. I mean, I, you're, you're probably being overly generous and <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I am not, you guys uh, do a really good, I'm, I've been a big fan. I mean, of Zerb <laughs> for a while. I mean, you're on this podcast for one. I think you're interesting, but I've been, well, I've been a fan. Uh, we'll, we'll go off track here for just a sec because uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but you also do something very cool that I was interested in. Um, uh, and it's called it's a it's a soapbox. I think that's that's super awesome. I ran this other podcast called the Web 2.0 Show, and I, I just loved what y'all were doing here with the soapbox. And I think everything you guys do are truly phenomenal. I don't I don't I'm not saying that just because we're on a podcast, people are listening to this. I really feel that way, and I and I want to know like as we look through all these different things we're looking at here and, and talking about to the people, and that there's this common thread of just. Awesome design, awesome communication, visual communication of what of whatever it is, from the soapbox to your specific apps to how you present yourselves as a company and and how you talk about your team. It's it's just I love it. Well, I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Uh, if I had to give you advice on how other companies can do this, it's really not about design. It's not even about the 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 voice, the content. Because when you start breaking it down a little bit, you know we're we're rough around the edges in some areas and. You know, we're actually working hard to improve that, and and I'm probably our our biggest critic. I, <laughs> Always I, the chief I, instigator. Yeah, yeah. I I, I want to challenge people to get better at their craft, and I think what you'll find is that by focusing on the culture and finding common ground with the people in the organization and finding that voice, it allows everyone to contribute. And so all of the things that you see wouldn't be possible if we were trying to do it in a hierarchy structure. If we were trying to do it as a top down. Um, structure and what what happens is is everyone's gotten enough training and then and has invested themselves into the business that they can kind of take on that voice they start to see how to use it to their advantage to create um, something that people want to use and uh, again sometimes it's more successful and other times we're still practicing but the key there is is empowering the employees to to own that voice and making sure that they're the ones that are projecting it not a single editor or a single person um, you know, and if you look across the business, we look for people that can write or at least contribute in a in a written form, and and that's strictly because of what you said. Is that when you see that, everyone has to be able to kind of take on that voice and project, you know, a, a feeling of yeah, this is Zerb. We take pride in what we're doing. We're looking out for our customers. We're trying to figure out how to do something great, and then we want to share. We want to educate and help people, you know, solve some more problems. So. You know, that that's the culture part of trying to figure out how you build a business and that that's the part that's taken so long is yeah. how do you how do you put all these ingredients together and get people excited to work with each other every day because it's not an easy thing and you have to practice it every day so you know when we look at that I'm probably overly critical on the actual implementation of those those words and those things but um, you know when you look at it I think what you're speaking to is that culture that we've we've built that is that ownership component really wanting to do something great and share it with the world? Well, you um, and actually, uh, Dimitri is behind the scenes here. Um, but in a recent interview on your blog, he talked about perseverance and the ability to withstand criticism and keep pushing forward. And is that how much is that? Is I guess a part of what you had just talked about, where you said it takes practice. You can't give up on certain things, and you just have to keep pushing forward. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a component of 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 our culture that's set up to expect people to fail. And, and we have the fail fast um, kind of mindset is that you have to be able to, it's not that you're seeking out failure. It's just that 
you have to be willing to accept that people on your team are going to fail, and it's part of the education process of of being a Zerbian. And so when you um, when you enable people to fail and take risks and try things, what you find is they're going to learn much faster, and their productivity increases, you know, twofold really. And then their output is so much more. Uh, it's just powerful. It's it's interesting. And you can tell that someone's own personality comes through, but they also, you know, they, they, they grab a hold of what it means to be a Zerbi and project that. And, you know, you can't, you, you can't be successful unless you allow your employees to, to fail and, and take those, those risks and, and challenge. So when we talk about perseverance, getting back to your original statement, perseverance at Zerb is really saying, okay, you know, people are going to make some mistakes. We're going to, you know, figure out how to correct it. And then you're still going to go back to your teammates and you're still going to pat them on the back and you're going to, you're going to go kick some butt on the next thing you're working on. Um, and that's the stuff behind the scenes that you don't really see in our output. You just see kind of the things that we produce, but behind the scenes, it's really about understanding how to support one another to, to do these, these amazing things that we're working on. So I kind of deviated from the path uh, a little earlier when I asked you about the, the common thread of design and just the way you speak and uh, the, I, we had said the the Zerbian way of presenting what you guys do, but we were talking about products, and I think you were trying to go in the direction of saying that you've got something up your sleeve in terms of the future, and and uh, I don't know. It just sounded like more or less you were talking more about products, and you guys have been practicing for a while, so it sounds like you're doing something fun behind the scenes. What What is that? Yeah, in some ways it's anticlimactic, but for most people – you know, a lot of people don't know we have Notable as a product, and we've siloed that for the most part because we were experimenting to try and build a great a great product independent of Zerb, and we've we've tried to build that product um, in its own right without trying to 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 overlap it too much with Zerb. And then we created a second product, Verify, which is a basically a concept testing tool that allows you to to grab um, feedback from outside people um, on your, your your work. Uh, and those two products have. have given us enough momentum to say we can actually um, build something more out of this, that there's a big hole in the market for these types of tools, which are you know, web apps that help you understand how to create better products and services. That feedback internal loop, the external loop of, of getting the customer feedback at critical points during your process. So um, we have two more uh, apps we're launching. And in fact, one of them is an internal launch today that we're uh, testing with uh, customers. And we have another one and all of these are going to be part of a suite of tools that, um, you know, you're basically going to be able to use across your workflow when you're we're building, um, you know, building web apps, building uh, complex websites, and and things that require a lot more um, emphasis on the interactions and not just the um, yeah the aesthetic components of your your product or service. Can we talk at all about uh, about maybe revenue or numbers in terms of users or what kind of growth these siloed applications have in, in comparison not so much in comparison to Zer, but I guess just in general to maybe other more well known web apps that might even do similar things. I don't even know if there's any out there that that do what Verify does. I just I, I have to say I love Verify too. I think it's phenomenal. I, w- I would love to like craft a screen um, and put out a test to my coworkers that uh, that are essentially gonna give me their opinion anyways, but instead of just throwing it in chat and saying, hey, give me your thoughts and I just randomly see some comments come back and i right. run with that like this seems like a more structured way to actually act on data as you say in your in your bullet statement there on the home page it's like this is this is real information you're getting back and not so much just even your coworkers, but anybody else it seems too 
Yeah, right now we launched the the tool as a as a standalone application, which allows you to to pull your your customers or your audience. Uh, we actually, if you looked at our blog posts, we um, are actually creating a, a a network or community of testers that will you'll be able to um, uh, purchase people to take tests for you. So that if you're looking for a specific demographic or you're looking for an audience. Um, that might be interested in in your subject matter. You'll be able to actually use our our tool to test across those groups. So in the short term, it'll be just testers. In the long term, it'll be about targeting demographics to um, whatever you're specifically testing. Um, as far as the growth of the, the the tools, we've had quarter over quarter growth for um, you know two straight years uh, across our platform. I believe we have about forty to forty five thousand users. Um, and as far as uh, uh, revenue, it's, it's still a, a smaller part. Our service revenue is a significantly greater just because, you know, we've been around a lot longer. But um, the, the growth story in our products will probably be um, higher margins, you know, not now. It'll take, a, a, you know, a more significant investment to get there. But, you know, longer term, we see a lot of growth and opportunity there. How much energy is spent on growing Zurb as we know it and growing Zurb products, how much? What's the difference like in terms of ratio? Uh, you know, the interesting thing about how we've set up the business is we have five separate businesses in a sense that create revenue. The and then you kind of spoke to them. Uh, the services side, which is our, our longest um, running part of the business, uh, our product, which is the one we've proven out as a, as a revenue um, uh, opportunity. And then the other three, which you might not be fully aware of, is the Zurb Think, which is, a, you know, a, I guess you are aware of, you, you mentioned it, uh, which is the, the training aspect of um, what we do. And then we just, uh, we're actually going to be releasing on, on Thursday, tying our, our playground pieces and our blog together as, a, as an effort, and, and we're um, selling sponsorship across that. So our publishing, we're going to be spending more time on. Um, and then the, the last one you we, we launched uh, a couple weeks ago was Zurb Jobs. So um, it's a specific job board for product designers and um, companies that are looking for that you know, unique talent to build great things, not just you know, designers that are you know, part of a team, but you know, those um, role players or those people that need to actually help shift or shape a, a product. So what leads you to create these different business silos or products in general, like Zurb Jobs? I wouldn't not say that, hey, you don't belong in this space, but what makes me it makes me think about what gets you into that, where you approach by like a bunch of people saying, hey, we have jobs, can you help us find talented people because you seem to be good at it? What got you into these spaces? Right. Everything is organic in that you know, we, we either see a pattern of people continually asking for something. Um, so Zurb Jobs, every, just about all our clients ask for uh, how do we find someone um, like you to solve these problems, you know, because most of what we do on our services side is, is help people get over humps or the bigger parts of projects. We don't actually do any, um, say, retainer-type relationships where we're, you know, the, the go-to um, people to fix things. We're constantly evolving an idea. So for a startup, we might be working with them. Um, through you know a series of projects, but it's always what's the new thing, and we're introducing um, a component of this. And, and at a certain point, once you hit a growth stage, you need someone to own the problem internally. And so, it, clients are always asking for referrals and, and places to go to, to find those people. So, Zurb Jobs is a great example of a, a business kind of coming out of what our problems were, which was 
help us find find people. Um, the publishing side of, of what we've been doing is something that we're practicing and getting better at. Um, but you, you can start to see like over time you've seen maybe if you followed our playground, more stuff has been published there. And when we first started, it was just drawing some stuff on a page and seeing what people thought of it. And then, you know, I think we, uh, Smashing Mag took a look at some of it and wanted to publish more of it. And so we worked with, um, with those guys and, all of a sudden, now it's it's like a, a big traffic generator because of all the things we're publishing on it, um, and and so we figured, you know, one of the things that we wanted to do internally was, I think you spoke to it is is you have this Zerb feel to what you're doing. We want to keep refining and working on that. So we hired Ryan. Uh, he just started yesterday as an editor to help us start, you know, you know, editing the things that we're saying and writing, and and that business came out of this idea that. You know, let's not just do that as an expense. Let's look at it as a way to actually figure out how we can pay for that. So we started spelling, uh, selling sponsorship across that, and um, we're actually announcing on Thursday our, our first sponsor of that. Uh, a friend, friends of ours, and I won't mention it until Thursday, but uh, pretty cool to be able to have that opportunity. So all of the things that we work on are all related to helping people design for people. Is figuring out how do you solve these tough product. Uh, design problems online and whether you are looking for someone to actually help you implement it on the services side um, you're wanting to use one of the tools we use to get this done you're looking for training to figure out how to get it done or you need to hire someone to help you figure out how to get it done we're centering ourselves in that circle of of helping you you build better products and services online so see i thought for sure that you're going to go into your super secret and and uh mention you're going to work with i guess that's uh that's maybe a bigger topic. Do you have anything super <laughs> secret that you want to share? I know that um, it, it's it's often that I get to ask the super secret question, which is pretty much, you know, what's on the near horizon? What is something that you guys are working on that maybe nobody else knows about? Hopefully it's a scoop here and you can share it with us on the show. Sure. I, uh, so one of the areas that, uh, you know, through foundation we've learned is, you know, this mobile thing is for real, right? <laughs> right. Talking, yeah, I think talk, so. <laughs> talking about it for five years, but the, the tools and services available online to actually make that process easier is, isn't, isn't there. So foundation is a great open source um, toolkit to be able to start playing around and figure out some of these things on your own. Um, but, but we see opportunity to provide, you know, products and services on top of those types of things to help you actually, you know, iterate and prototype and get better at it. So um, one area we're looking at this is just, you know, if you look at Notable taking screen grabs from um, you know desktop was a significant challenge like three years ago and doing it consistently and then doing it across lots of different platforms um, has increased the challenge, but doing the mobile part becomes even more difficult. So we've been experimenting in that area on the mobile side, trying to figure out how you do similar types of things. So I'd expect something um, you know early next year in that space. So any I games kicking around? I. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, you know, you we have, have fun names. I have to ask about the name at least. Yeah, we um, uh, we have uh, we have seven free apps, um, and we basically what we do with those free apps is we use them as an experimentation to see if there's a product or service that people are interested in. So it serves double purposes. It's an experimentation. It is an opportunity for someone to own something here and train them in, in building great things. Um, and then it, it gives us an opportunity to see if there's uh, a revenue stream available. So um, I think with each one of those, we put a theme to it just because it makes it more fun and it, it's something to push out there and people remember. So Bounce is the first one. Um, uh, Clue, which allows you to take a, a memory test, was the second one. Uh, Strike 
is uh, is an app that allows you to create a, a disposable task list. Basically, you can share a task list with someone online. So um, we we build Strike with this idea that you know project management tools are much too cumbersome, and sometimes when you're just working back and forth to get a project done, like the tail end last week, it all goes to crap. So you, <laughs> what you really basically start doing is just going over a list and striking it off. Um, so we said, okay, well, how do you how do you do that? taking a Google Doc or something and then translate it into a simple tool that's very little overhead to manage and is disposable. Um, so that was Strike. Um, and then we introduced Chop, which is a code review tool. basically allows you to put comments on on, um, uh, on your code that you upload. Uh, Spur is a tool that allows you to um, critique websites. So it gives you uh, the tools to look at a, a web page from a different perspective. So taking out color, high contrast, rotating it these are all traditional design techniques that are, are you know people get training for in, in art school or whatnot we decided to create a tool around that so each one of these little tools has a has a little story a little theme very focused around a specific problem and allows uh you know the users to have a little bit of fun but they can also use it to accomplish something and not feel like they have to be overly invested in anything um, and obviously the natural thing with a free tool that actually sparks someone's interest is to create a, a paid app that's maybe more in depth, or, or solves a particular workflow problem that you know an organization faces, not just the individual. Um, so this this new tool uh, is uh, is called Jig. 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 Nice. How do you spell uh, that? J I G. J I G. Just like it should be said, right? Just like it should be spelled. Right. <clears throat> and all of the names have some kind of meaning beyond just the you know with Strike we had fun with it just because. Uh, Yes, you can actually, in the tool, it allows you to strike items off um, a list. And so we actually use that as, as kind of a metaphor for the name. But then you can play off of it with a theme, you know, bowling, striking, getting strikes, knocking things out. You know, those are all topics that um, you can kind of play with when you're starting to introduce a concept or an idea. It, it makes the conversation a little less sales pitching a little bit more. Let's have fun with this. I think that's fun. I mean, you guys, I mean, it kind of goes back to your toy inventor days and how that bled into the personality of the business and just finding ways to market something that you said earlier, much, much earlier in the call of something that's not really there. Not that what you're saying is not there. It's you're just finding really fun ways to, to capitalize on what oh, might yeah, not yeah. always be there to some people. Like some people just see it as a task list, but you found a way to, to find an engaging way to, to present it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I get bored easily. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody so, does. Yeah, I know. And so, you know, in some ways, you know, we want to – we take our work very seriously. We're very intense with it. When you come in the office, people are jazzed and psyched and they're, they're working hard. Um, but there's a component of that that you can't take yourself too seriously, right? It, as soon as you start believing everything you're doing is, is so awesome, uh, then you, you kind of – you can get jaded very quickly and think that everything you're producing is great. And the reality is is, is a lot of what we produce – it sucks. You just have to get rid of part of it, and, and it's an iterative uh, process for us. And, and so having that playfulness and understanding that you can't take yourself too seriously allows that flexibility in our approach to, to, to building products. Is It's an iterative approach. Don't take all your work so seriously, and you're going to have to get rid of some of it. So, Well, normally I would close on the, the super secret question, but I do want to ask you a couple questions, or at least just one question about Zerp Soapbox. I know – uh, as a podcaster and someone who loves just having conversations like we've had today and sharing them with people, I mean, you guys have done pretty much that, but you've turned that into a way to 
um, lecture the people that visit your office. Tell me more about this. Is it just your team or do you invite people in? Is it a paid event? And I mean, you got some big names there like Dave McClure, who's just really well known in the founder startup space. Uh, Matt Miskovich, who started 99 Designs, he's been on this podcast. Uh, Kevin Hill, Matt Mollowig. I mean, you've got uh, even a number of my guests that have been on this show and past shows um, come in there and giving lectures and you know telling you everything that they've they've got to offer pretty much about a certain topic. I mean, what was the the premise of setting this up? So <clears throat> many of the things when you look at what we do at Zurb, it, it doesn't always it's not quite obvious why we would do something like that. So we actually had one of the customers or not the customers, but uh, you know people coming to the soapbox and like, well, why do you do this or free? Because we we provide lunch. Uh, you know, and we make it really crisp around an hour. So you get in, you can listen to someone great, and then you can get out and get back to your day. You're like, why do you do this? And, and you know, obviously there's a marketing um, uh, slant to it, but I say it was never really the point of the whole thing. And in some ways you could say it's very selfish is that our team needs to get better at talking to people and learning and figuring out how you get yourself invested in the community. And, you know, and by bringing people into the office, it actually – it, it made those conversations happen and it started helping people understand how great things happen. And so, um, the, again, it's, it's all about making things open though. So for us, it's, it was never, it was always about trying to share that right away. So we started making uh, podcasts right away from it to, to be able to have, um, an opportunity to open up the conversation to other people as well. So when we first started the first one, I believe we probably had 12 people. Uh, and, and now, um, we have well over 200 and we now have to stop and push people away just cause our, our, <laughs> our, our current location isn't big enough for it. Um, and you know, we, it's, and it's purely because we've kind of just kept at it. We haven't stopped. So we've been doing it two years. Um, and we've really focused on just finding great talent and figuring out how they could share something with us. And, and Dimitri is really the spirit spears that all up. I mean, he's incredible at it in engaging with people and getting people excited about things. So, you know, a big part of that is, is Dimitri reaching out to people and, and starting conversations. But, uh, yeah, in something like that, you know, we, we learned, um, that the more open you are and the more you can provide something of value to the greater community, then it just comes back to you in all kinds of ways. So. Do you know what your subscriber count might be around? Just uh, just curious. I see you're in the iTunes uh, iTunes podcast store, so you got your listing there, and you can obviously subscribe to this. So it's it's consumable by you know these connected devices that you design for. So what's right. what's your subscriber list like? You know, we have 29 properties, and we track about five or six metrics across all of those properties. I can't tell you that because I just don't know that one. <laughs> uh oh. I, I just I don't. I don't know that you know. In, in some ways, I it's my goal to try and know as much of the metric, know as many of the metrics as I possibly can. But and something like that, that would be a Dimitri. Uh, he would know the metrics on that. So I'm just curious because I know that you said you got around 200 attending, you know, face to face and taking part in it. But at the same time, right. you got this, you know, you got this online audience that's clamoring in as well. And I and I kind of feel that same space too with having this podcast. Is that you know I get to have these great conversations and share it and. Uh, you know, I have to be honest too. I don't have all the details of what this podcast is. I just pretty much do it because I love doing it. I love having conversations like this, and it's just uh, it's part of my DNA. And I, I really don't think I can stop doing it because I just have so much fun doing it. Um, but I just wonder what what you knew about the yeah. subscribership, just because it's it's fun and those those kinds of things. And um, why not, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. I don't have numbers, but 
I can tell you across, um, you know, across our, uh, our properties and thinking about what we're doing. Um, you know, when we first started out as a, just a, a consulting shop and focused on purely just uh, providing services, you know, our traffic to our site and what we, um, the number of people I would say was maybe in the thousand a day range for a lot of people that was probably, you know, that's a, that's a lot of, a lot of people to come to a service oriented website. Yeah. Um, some days now I would say we get upwards of 25,000 people across our properties. So, um, you know, it's not tied directly to the soapbox, but, you know, having that openness and exposing parts of our business has actually done wonders to create traffic. And so when anyone ever asks me from, for marketing advice, I say, well, teach someone something and, and then publish it. And, and, right. and, and you'll, without working hard at something, you'll, I mean, you have to work hard at what you're actually producing, but the actual marketing component of it is, is really a smaller part of it. It's the teaching part that is really the marketing angle. It, it, you're just spending your time helping people understand how to solve a problem and they come back to you. So, And for those that are that are listening, it's zerb.com slash soapbox. I highly recommend you check it out. You can subscribe to iTunes or via any other RSS feed reader that can consume some audio podcasts. It's actually video too in some cases, isn't it? Uh, we did a video once. You know, we pulled back on video just because your production value has yeah. to be a lot higher and we just – we don't have the time to do it. Eventually we will, but uh, at this point, you know, and you, you can, we just don't have the same audio um, attention to details there either. So some of those, those uh, recordings are bad, um, but we've done a lot better job at trying to figure out how to get better at it. And so, you know, we're, we got a lot more equipment now to be able to do it. So, um, but there's some rough spots in some of them, but it's all about the knowledge and you get a lot of great stuff out of them. So, well, Brian, it's been a lot of fun learning about you and and uh, the fact that you was in tw- you were a toy inventor before you kicked off Zerb and learning more about what Zerb's about and the culture you've produced and all the fun things that you've done and how you think about your business and the way that you energize your staff and and be that chief instigator. I, you know, I know that I appreciate your time and for coming on the show. Is there anything else that we could talk about that you could think of that uh, that is just hot on your hot on your head that that would be good to say before we close? Sure. If, if if you're a founder or you're interested in building something great, just know it's it's not about the stuff you're creating. It's about the team you build. It's about the people you build relationships with, and making sure that they are a part of something great. So, uh, that if if I could give anyone advice in that uh, that area and in, in building and uh, creating a, a business, focus on the people. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely agree with that. Well. Again, Brian, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. And I hope you had a lot of fun joining me here. And thanks again. Thanks.